If you have your Bibles today, let's let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We want to look in verses 10 through 16. I was trying to go in a different direction today. And uh, <laughs> uh, I just wasn't able to. <laughs> I had my mind and heart set on just talking about prayer of thanksgiving today um, and start this series into about division in in February but I I just couldn't do it well one I everything that come to me I realized I had preached it just a couple years ago with the same direction and, and so I just had to start all over and And God is faithful. <laughs> he is faithful. He is, he is faithful with me throughout preparing this message. And, and I pray that it just speaks to our hearts. And, and we're going to talk just for a few moments on fighting division. Now you may be wondering why. Why would I even come to this section? We're in a pandemic and we're not fully... Um, moving full blast here at the church we're, we're not back in Sunday school yet we're not back with our normal activities we're not having our fellowship meals we're not doing things like we were doing before but I believe it's soon coming uh, with this vaccine becoming more available with more people recovering from the virus and building antibodies within their within themselves, I, I just believe this is God is in the process of eradicating this virus. And as soon as it's eradicated, I'm looking forward to that time, aren't you? When we can shed the masks, when we can sit close to each other, we can shake hands and hug necks, and we can fellowship uh, together. I, I'm looking forward to that. But in looking forward to that, we also want to be prepared that we have an enemy. And that enemy is not you. It's not flesh and blood. But there is an enemy who gets in the minds of us, and, and he tries to separate and divide us and, and pull us from this direction to another direction to a, another direction in, in an attempt to just keep us divided but but I believe even though we're having the social distance even though we're wearing masks I, I believe the church of God right now is closer and more unified right now than ever before in my lifetime I believe we're praying more than ever before in my lifetime that we're we're seeking God because we know that we have no hope on this side without him and we must be aware that there is an enemy who's going to try and destroy what God is building in us. And just if we are aware of it, we can be on guard for it, can't we? You know, Dwight L. Moody once said this, I have, I have never yet known the Spirit of God to work where the Lord's people were divided. In other words, what he is saying is if we want God to bless this church, there must be unity. We must be together. If you look here in this passage, this is exactly what Paul is dealing with in the church in Corinth. He's dealing 
with, he, he's dealing with them in this letter about their divisions within the church. The Bible says this, starting in verse 10, as we look in 10 through 16. He says, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's house, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Test any, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus because I do not know. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory and honor. Now we pray, God, that you would use this message. That, God, you would place it in our hearts. You would fix and form and fashion it, God, so that. It would accomplish what you set it out to accomplish. You've told us that your word will not go out and return void. But it will accomplish that that you purpose it to. So God we're going to depend upon you this day. Speak to our hearts. And God we'll give you praise for all that's accomplished. In Jesus name we do pray. Amen. Again as we are thinking about fighting division. Division in the church just may be the most serious offense that the church could face. Division within the church affects so many things. It affects our fellowship. It affects our worship. It affects our mission. It affects our witness. If it's not solved quickly. Paul understood this and we can get this in this in this passage as a matter of fact throughout this letter we see Paul really understands this. So as soon as he has given thanks to God for his provisions and his promises to the believers in Corinth, he addressed the issue with them, the issue of division. So we must notice here in this first phrase, Paul pleads with the believers in Corinth out of love and not of anger. And we can hear it. Beginning here in this phrase, he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you hear his passion? Can you hear his love and his affection toward this?
congregation of people. But we, because we in here, he, he calls them his brother. As a matter of fact, if we look in verse 10 and verse 11, he says it twice. He speaks to them as family, not as, as people he's going to give a directive to, but as those he loves and he cherishes deeply. We see that right there in verse 10 where he says, I now plead with you, brethren. And in verse 11, he goes as far as to say, for it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren. Paul here, he's wearing his heart on his sleeve as he makes this appeal to them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in this first phrase in verse 10, we see a very valuable lesson that I just can't just skim over. But I need to Hell, I need us to really understand what, what happened right there in that first phrase. And we'll, we'll move on to the, to the message or the meat of the message afterwards. But here what we find is for those of us who are serving as leaders. And I think I said last week that we're all leaders. We're either wise leading in, in our family. We're leading at school. We're leading in the church. We're leading on our jobs or we're leading in local politics. Wherever we serve in leadership positions, if we we notice division we should not seek to attack that division or attack the person who has been divisive we're responsible we're responsible to approach these in a loving and a tender spirit we are to approach them in the name of the lord jesus christ why is this so important Why is it that we approach divisive people in this fashion? Because you and I can't change no one's heart. We couldn't even change our own heart. It took the Holy Spirit of God convincing us that we needed a Savior. And that Savior coming to live within us. And as the Holy Spirit moves and works in us, He changes our heart because we're not able to. I don't know about you, but I tried time and time again on my own and I failed And just to be honest, I feel God on a regular basis also. I thank God that he's still working on me. Ain't you glad he's still working on you? When we look in this passage, we understand Paul here is making an appeal. He's making an appeal for unity. As we just focus there for a few moments here on verse 10, we see Paul's direct and he's straightforward with this appeal to the Corinthian believers. First of all, he appeals to them to speak the same thing. In other words, he is encouraging them to stop talking against each other. Paul doesn't want them to attack or gossip each other. In other words, Paul is telling them to speak the same thing so your tongues won't cause divisions among you. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 21 and 23 says, Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Paul goes as far as to appeal to them that there be no divisions among them. He's pleading with them not to be divided or not to be a divided church because a divided church cannot work for to build the kingdom of God. Instead, a divided church is spending too much time jockeying for a position. They're trying to get their own way rather than coming together to reach a lost and dying world for Jesus Christ. Mark 3 and 25 says, And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. 
I've come to the re realization that if we are going to be divided against one another, if I can't sit with my brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter who it is in the house of God, then the church isn't together and we can't move forward from where we're at. And we're only going to move backward and we're only going to destroy ourselves. Paul also appeals here in this passage that they be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. It appears here that Paul is concerned that this church is not on one accord. They don't seem to be on one accord with God, with his will, or his word. They don't seem to be on one accord when it comes to extending love and grace and mercy. They don't seem to be on one accord when it comes to repentance, forgiveness, and restoration. They, Until they get on one accord, they would remain divided. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 says... Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor, evil speaking, be up away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Here we find Paul is appealing to the church in Corinth to act like a church that is united. He is, they desperately need to do what it takes to get on the same page. Wouldn't it be great if the leaders of our country would take this one verse, set it on every document that they ever read, and before they ever open their mouth, that they have to read this verse first and come to realization that this is the truth and that we're going to remain a country divided until we come together understanding that we may have differences, but we have to get along for the greater good. And whatever that greater good is, we have to be on one accord. Amen. Oh, our country is all messed up when it comes to, to this. Man, this ought to be an intentional guide for any of their decisions. If they would... You know, we wouldn't have excess spending and we wouldn't have lives being put in jeopardy. We wouldn't see elected officials in the most powerful positions criticizing and belittling each other on national television. They, we wouldn't see these men and women that we've placed in office acting like teenage children who can't get along and who's filled with drama all throughout a school. If you watch the, the news, if you watch whatever's going on in Congress, it's no different than going to a junior high school and watching the girls and all their drama over some boy that don't even know what the drama's about that's exactly what we're looking at how is it that we see we see these men in these powerful positions that we're paying them a god awful amount of money and they're just driving every attempt to chide one another every attempt to belittle each other from where they're turning around and, and making snide remarks on television or ripping up speeches in front of every... It's no wonder our children are hiding the way they're hiding. It's no wonder this country is hiding the way they're hiding. If they want to know why we have so much chaos in the streets, it's because of what's going on in the political offices. If they get their act together, the country gets their act together. If leadership begins in the home... If I'm responsible for my child and you're responsible for your children, aren't those who are over us responsible for us? And it's no wonder. It's no wonder we're in the mess we're in. Because of division. Folks, but we as a church 
You know, we're not the world. We're not politics. We're not a political office. We are the house. We are the people. We are the family of God. So we can't allow our leaders in this country to influence us. We can't allow them to to dictate how we're going to respond. In other, in, instead, we must refuse to be divided. We must be so intentional about loving one another. When we know our brother is against us, when we know our sister is against us, that we sit down with them and, and try to have a conversation to see their side, never compromising the truth, but at least giving them an opportunity to, to express themselves. And when they do, and we can, if we can come on one accord, we do every attempt to make that happen then we will become an example to the world instead of the world being an influence on us yes Paul is appealing to them for unity but we also see in this passage in the remaining verses that Paul addresses the divided Now, Paul, his heart, we see it here in verse 10. And we see his concern in verses 11 through 16. As he addresses the divided, Paul is in Ephesus. He receives a letter from a believer in Corinth. A believer out of the household of Chloe. The writer of the letter, whether it's a man or a woman... They share with Paul their concern over the seriousness of the contentions that were arising in Corinth. So the Apostle Paul begins to address two things. And first, two things that we, it just seems that the church is divided over. And the first thing is there's a problem with preference. Now that may sound odd, but there are a lot of churches today divided over preference. Preference has always been an issue in the church. Our preference on colors of the walls and the carpet and the pews. Churches have been divided over our preference of of the musical styles that that we have in the church. We have the preference of whether we're going to have pews or whether we're going to have chair seating. We have all of those and it seems to want to divide churches. And here in Corinth... Preaching styles is dividing the church. Can you imagine that? Uh, Be careful. Uh, Be careful. You know, there's a reason I don't tell you all the time when I'm not going to be here. (laughs) And it ain't got that. I, I know I'm not the best speaker in the world. It ain't got nothing to do with that. But there's a reason I don't tell you. Because it's not about who's preaching. It's about the message they're preaching. But that's the issue that is going on here. When we begin to look here in these verses, in chapter, in verse 12, we, we see Paul, Paul is saying here, now I say this to each of you, says, I am of Paul, I am of Paulus, I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. As far as the message itself, Apollos and Paul, 
They preached the same gospel. They preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. But their style was somewhat different. Their style of preaching, their style of ministry, it was quite different. As a matter of fact, Acts 18 and 4 describes Apollos as an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures. But Paul, Paul himself was not this great speaker. He was not this man who came with excellency of words. We can see in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 6. Paul describes himself as being untrained in speech, but not in knowledge. He was untrained in speech. In other words, he didn't speak as eloquently as Apollos did. So it appears here that there were some who appreciated Apollos' preaching skills. They may have been enticed by the way he spoke, while others appreciated Paul's skill as an administrator and his ability to disciple young believers. Even so, there were those who even preferred Peter over Paul and Apollos. You know, the Bible says here in some, some uh, I am of Cephas, he's speaking of the apostle Peter here. And, and here what we find is, is if we know anything at all about Peter, he was probably more traditional than Paul or Apollos. Does that really hit home? His, his style of ministry, his style of doing things is probably a lot more traditional. We've got churches divided today because of style, whether they want to have a traditional service or they want to have a contemporary service. We have churches that will accommodate the people by having a traditional service at one hour and then a little while later they'll have a, they'll have a contemporary service my question is when you need to bring everybody together what do you do there what do you do at that time I, I don't know what they're what they're what they've come up with or what their decision has been but I want to tell you we can't be divided over senseless things even so with them some uh, uh, preferring Peter over Paul and Apollos here, Galatians tells us in, in, in Galatians 2 and 7, it indicates to us that, that he was the apostle, that Paul was the apostle assigned to the Gentiles, while Peter was the apostle assigned to those traditionalists, those Jews. So we all understand, we all have our own preferences. And there are those who love their pastor simply because of his strength and skill in declaring the word of God. And listen, folks, we got some of the best in the pulpit across America. I can name two of our preachers. I'll put them with anybody in the world. I've heard preachers that, that are pastoring mega churches. I've heard preachers who on big platforms, but we've got a couple of preachers that can stand with them and they can declare the word of God with them and they can be as eloquent or they can come, they can come right down to where we're at. They're able to do that. I, I want to tell you, you're not going to get no better than Dr. Tim Chavis with the Bible in his hand declaring the word of God from behind the roster. There's no better around here than he is. There may be, they may be a few on his level but there's none any better and there are some people who just love that about their pastor they just love him because they feel like they can learn they can gain so much knowledge under a preacher who's able to declare and to teach 
God's word. And there are those who love their pastor simply because he's a great administrator. He's able to motivate and organize and delegate and disciple in such a way that church members feel like they're growing in their walk with the Lord. And we have some of them in our, in our association. We have well, preacher Steve Strickland's an example. Preacher Jason Chandler's another example. They're just, they're just incredible administrators. They know how to motivate people they know how to delegate responsibilities and they know how to disciple folks in such a way that people just love them because of the administrator that they are and then there are those who just simply love their pastor because he's able to minister to them he has such a calming presence, such compassion that no matter the situation, he appears to always know what to say and what not to say. When, when to speak and when not to speak. When to cry and when not to cry. When to rejoice and when not to rejoice. He has this uncanny ability to, to just relate the members in such a way that they feel better when he's around. And these church members feel as if they get to witness the very heart of Christ in their pastor. Man, and my pastor is one of the best. Preacher Jimmy Strickland, I, I don't know anyone else that com- they can command a room the way he can. When you're hurting, when he just walks in, you almost feel like things are going to be okay. Boy, you know, that doesn't come just out of a skill that you develop. It comes out of prayer. It comes out of time with God. It comes out of understanding that there's one who can meet the need. And they're just instruments to that one. But folks, preference should never supersede the message of the gospel. Yes, we do have our preferences. But the gospel, when, if it's proclaimed, we should be able to put our preference aside and hear the message. When we can't set our preference aside then we're exalting ourselves above Christ we're saying that what we want is more important than what Christ has to say no matter what our preference is no matter what our skill set is that any pastor may possess we are to exalt Jesus not the pastor for if Jesus It was Jesus who was lifted up. It was Jesus who was nailed to a cross. It was Jesus who died for our sins. It was Jesus who was buried in a barred tomb. It was Jesus that on the third day he arose under his own power conquering death, hell, and the grave. It was Jesus that gives us an opportunity to live an abundant life. And to have that life for all eternity. We exalt Jesus. We thank God for the men that he uses, but we exalt Jesus. The message of the gospel has to supersede our preference. It was causing division here in Corinth. And Paul was saying, (laughs) Paul was saying here, is Christ divided? That he's going to go with you who are of, of Paul, you who are of Apollos, you who are of Cephas? No, Christ isn't divided. Paul looks at, he, he actually says, Did I, was I crucified for you? Or were you baptized in my name? 
No, Paul addresses the fact that these cliques that were forming because of this division, it needed to be done away with. Here, Paul asked those three questions, and we see them right there in 13, in verse 13. And when these questions are addressing the lordship of Jesus Christ, the death of Christ, and the baptism of the believer, it's addressing them because these things are, are being divided because of the division within the church. Folks, when, there are, when there's a clique within the church, the clique thinks that it's always right. And it should always have its own way, no matter the cost. And that line of thinking elevates the clique above Christ. Why? Because being part of a church should never be about getting my way. We've said this before. We are not a country club. We are a people who are in service to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We come here to get discipled, to get encouraged, and we go out and do his work. We don't come here so we can get our way. You can ask these that have been through the, the new members class that I, I really teach the, in that class that, that, hey, you can, this is not a place where you're going to have it your way. We're not Burger King. It's not on the, on the sign out there. It's not you can have it your way, but it's about ministry. It's about Jesus having his way in our lives. Yes, these clicks. They set themselves above him. But there is only one Lord and he is the Lord Jesus Christ. And his lordship cannot and will not be divided into cliques. Colossians 1, 17 through 18 says, And he is before all things and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. No clique can feel like they're above Christ. But there's never been a clique that has died for anyone. Only Jesus, only the begotten, the only begotten of the Son laid down his life so that we can have eternal life. And it's through only his death, burial, and resurrection that we can be forgiven of our sins and have the sting of death taken away from us and that we can be given victory over the grave. Jesus is our Savior. John 14 and 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes through the Father except by me. We're not going by clicks. We're going by Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen. And if we're part of a clique, simply put, we're not following the Savior. We're following after a man or a woman who's leading that clique. You know, when I, I, don't, I don't know how many here are wrestling fans. I'm sure there's one or two of you. I was, I've been a wrestling fan all my life. I don't watch it much now because I get a hard time about watching it at home. So I, I, just, I just don't watch it. I don't keep up with it. Uh, you know, it's a man's soap opera. That's what it is because everything is scripted just like those soap operas you watch on uh, during the day. But none of y'all watch those. But, that, but that's, that's what it is. But, but you know what? There was a group back in the day, back when I was much younger, that called themselves the clique. And you had to be a bad dude to be part of that clique. They weren't the biggest guys, but they were bad. They were mean. They, they went about doing things their own way. And it wasn't long before they were busted up. 
And now if you look, none of those that was part of that clique are wrestling anymore. And some of them have already passed away. Folks, when you're following a clique, you're not following Jesus Christ. You know, our baptism, it signifies, it's an outward display of our faith in Christ. Stating that we're going to follow after him. That's why it was so life-threatening in the first century church when they began to be baptized it told all the officials that this person is following after Jesus Christ they're no longer following the Roman emperor they're no longer following the Jewish leaders but they were following after Jesus and they were putting their life in jeopardy but they were saying I'm following Jesus listen we're putting our life in jeopardy when we follow anyone else outside of Jesus that's why we're baptized in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit but what's tragic is that when we join a clique we're disassociating ourselves with Christ we're giving our loyalty over to a man who only seeks to divide that's what Paul is warning them about that's what he is addressing in this passage and I want to say this to our church members. Today I appeal to you that as we, that we have a made up mind that we're going to always seek to be unified. That there will all be, always be unity among us. Are we going to agree on every little issue? No. You know, I, the colors that, that really tickle me are colors that many of you wouldn't like. But that's okay. The gospel is more important than color. Amen. The style of music, you may not like what I listen to when I'm in my vehicle. But I don't have to hear it here. Whatever is being sung, as long as it lifts up, it exalts the name of Jesus. It don't matter what the song is. Amen. As long as it's exalting Jesus. I would just appeal that we would always be unified. In Psalm 133, the Bible states, Behold how good and how pleasant is it for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like precious oil upon the head. or Running down the beard. The beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. <laughs> It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Basically what the psalmist is saying is if we're unified, God will make it pleasant for us. And there will be life forevermore. I'm so thankful to be part of a church. <laughs> Like this church. I'm more thankful to be part of this church. Because there's more unity here than what we actually believe. You ought to sit in some of our meetings. You'll hear laughter. You'll hear joy. You'll hear gratitude. You'll hear men 
who've come together to do business for the Lord who are excited when they leave that things were decided in the manner in which it was. Folks, I'm proud to be part of this church. But more than being proud to be part of this church, I'm proud to be a part of the family of God. And to be part of, to be unified with him. To have his son as my elder brother. Or maybe, maybe we can say it like this, our husbandman. To have God as our father and the Holy Spirit as our guide to be unified with them. Is greater than anything we could ever experience in this world. Listen unsaved. For those of you who do not know Jesus Christ as your personal savior. You desperately need to be unified with our heavenly father. But the only way you can do that is to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You must believe that he is the Son of God. That he lived a sinless life. You must believe that he died for your sin. And he arose to give you victory. You must be willing to receive him as your personal Savior. Submitting your life to following him. Listen, it's not just saying a prayer But it's following up with that prayer and submitting your life to him as his servant and he your master. And if you're willing to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he will unify you with our heavenly father. But if you deny him, you will remain divided. Oh, when we come... To our end of time. Ever how it may come. Whether it's through disease. Whether it's through accident. Whether. Whether it's through the catching away of the church. If you remain divided. If you continue to deny him. You will never be unified with God. I don't know what other people may tell you. But you can only be unified with God through receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you today, would you today come and receive Jesus as your Savior? Is every head bowed, every eyes closed? Would you today seek him, give your life to him? Allow him to have reign over your life. He'll make your life better than you could ever imagine. He'll do for you what you can't do for yourself. He'll show you that he is Lord. But he'll also show you that he loves you with an unconditional love. He'll prove to you time and time again that he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Right now, he's calling upon you because there's nothing that can separate you from his love. Listen, you open your eyes in a demon's hell. You'll do it with the love of God being for you. 
and you will have to spend an eternity realizing that God loved you and you could, didn't have to be eternally divided from him would you today would you today turn your life over to him be unified with the father through the son as the holy spirit guides you would you